thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your life. We've always taken mums the word to mean keeping things to ourselves. Well, this is no longer the case as we provide mums with the natural, honest, and reliable resources they need from experts and other mums to keep their families happy, healthy, and safe. Be prepared to use your passion for parenting to empower yourself with the knowledge of choice. Welcome to Mums the Word with your host, mum and chiropractor, Kaz Jaff. Hello there, listeners of Mums the Word, the favorite new podcast on this wellness couch. That's right. We took out an award last Saturday night at an award ceremony where I had to give a speech and was quite shell-shocked. But anyway, uh, thewellnesscouch.com is the network that we are on. And if you don't know what I'm talking about or don't even know about what the Wellness Summit was, then you probably have been living in a bubble and not listened to this podcast before. But anyway, it was a super thrill. And uh, yeah, it's not very often that uh, I can't find my words. So thank you to all of you who voted and thank you, of course, to all of all of those of you that listen and um, will make this podcast worthwhile for me to keep going. It is a true passion project. And um, well, even this this week's uh, topic is is something that I firmly believe that we need to to be able to speak about. And um, and so does my guest, Yaz Rosenblum, which is why she is sharing this week on the topic of postnatal depression. Definitely a topic that's not spoken about very much. And uh, we're trying to change things there so that people know that they definitely can speak up about it and they can find help and support. And we're going to talk about all of that in this episode. So a little bit more about our guest. Yaz Rosenblum is a wife and mother of two children uh, aged eight and five and lives in Melbourne, Australia and is a social media manager. After her first baby was born, Yaz suffered severe postnatal depression and anxiety, which led to her admission in a parent-infant psych unit for treatment. Yaz is passionate about sharing her story and supporting mothers who have been diagnosed with postnatal depression or anxiety or both, and those that are considering having another baby after suffering postnatal depression or anxiety, as well as supporting mothers that have mood anxiety disorders that have older children. It's a real raw share, as uh, as you can imagine, and uh, please, please share this episode to anyone you think uh, could benefit. And once again, thanks for listening to this podcast, and um, I look forward to bringing you many fantastic episodes over the coming year and um, there's lots in store so stay tuned and once again thank you for being our very loyal listeners enjoy the episode good morning Yaz I'm very excited about this episode and to have you on the show can you please tell the listeners a little bit about yourself sure and thank you for having me um, so my background is uh, after I finished uh, high school and university I spent 10 years working in the advertising industry um, and my focus uh, back then was direct marketing. So um, back in the day when we had snail mail and EDMs, which was your email. And then um, while I was on maternity leave after I had my first child, um, that's really when social media took off. So um, I started getting involved in social media and um, that part of the directness of communication and use that forum also to do some of my personal passions, which we'll talk about um, in a minute. Um, one of the things which I love about or love about life and love about what I do is I love learning. So I love talking to people. I love learning um, about where they come from, their life experiences. So that's all um, amazing because it just goes in my little mental bank of stuff to recall after. Mm -hmm. um 
And finally, I am a wife to a lovely, lovely man who is a game developer and I am a mum to two kids. Awesome. Well, I, as you know, have invited um, you to share your story on the podcast and it's a touching story and uh, we both know it's a topic um, well, depression in general is not often spoken about and postnatal depression probably even less so. You and I are both super passionate about helping people and if this helps some one person out there, then I know that you and I both agree that we've done our job. Absolutely. So what I'd really love for you to do is to is share your journey and your story. Um, sure. Okay, so my, my story starts um, <laughs> when I was born. I've pretty much um, had depression and anxiety my whole life. Um, undiagnosed until my mid-20s when I had a, um, another episode of depression. Um, and back then I was put on antidepressants and I was seeing um, a therapist. Um, and then I suppose life went on and I met my husband and we decided to have kids, get married, settle down. Um, and I suppose the story then starts again when um, I, after we got married, I, we got pregnant very quickly after we wanted we wanted to start a family pretty much straight away um sadly I miscarried and I didn't really deal with it I was and I was I suppose my thought at the time was let's just get this baby out of me or fetus or whatever you consider it get it out I just want to start again so I didn't really deal with it at all um, and there was a lot of other things going on in my life at the time. My parents separated. There was my, uh, just a lot going on. My father-in-law was diagnosed with cancer. So it was a very, very tumultuous time in my life. And I just think I focused on getting pregnant again and the hope that this baby would just change everything around for me and life would be amazing because who doesn't love babies and everything babies? Um, I was depressed during my pregnancy with my with my first baby um and I looking back I know I was I was 100% lying to myself and everyone around me I put on a mask I pretended that everything was fine um because of my history of with depression and anxiety I had a psychiatrist that I was seeing during that pregnancy and I was able to fool him as well I'm not sure how much actually, but um, enough to not actually get the help that I needed or I guess I didn't feel safe enough to say how I was feeling. Um, I stayed on my medication during that pregnancy um, in consultation with my GP and psych. Um, I knew that the antidepressant I was on was safe for pregnancy and breastfeeding, so I didn't have any issues with that. Um, However, leading up to the birth, I did come off the antidepressants and I, I honestly, I don't remember why. This is nearly eight years ago. So I don't remember why I came off the antidepressants um, given I was very depressed at the time, which seems ridiculous. Um, I think I was guilted into it by society and by fear of being judged. Um, anyway, I came off the antidepressants um, my baby couldn't wait. She came four weeks early, unexpectedly. My water's just broken. Um, yeah, I was spent the next day. No, nothing really happened in the labour. We had to 
get the Pitocin happening. Um, I had an epidural because I was extremely, extremely anxious about pain. So the midwives were very, very understanding and amazing at that, that point of view. Um, but I was extremely anxious during the whole um, birth, I would say. Um, I also, and not that I've spoken about this a lot, but now everyone will know, I had an out-of-body experience during the birth where it was during the pushing stage and I was, I was sort of hovering above myself and thoughts that were coming in my head was, I don't want this, this is not what I want, I'm going to ruin my life, life was so good without this, baby. Um, I, I imagine the not quite the thoughts or the experience that other women have. Um, and I was so ashamed. I did not speak of this for a long time. Um, so my daughter came out and she was taken straight to, um, special care and she was fine. She was, she was really great, but, um, we, she was in special care for the whole time I was in hospital and we went home without her. We went home for a few days without her. During that time, I felt a huge disconnect to her and to the whole experience. Um, things that happened during that hospital stay, I remember they, the midwives had a session on taking your baby home and everyone was sitting there with their babies and I didn't have mine. Um, they were talking about going home with your baby and I knew that I wasn't. Um, it was just a really hard time and I, I can't pinpoint one one thing that happened that contributed to my spiral but it was just so many things. I remember one midwife asked me why the baby came out early and I said, I don't know. And she said, maybe you weren't feeding it enough. Um, so I instantly, I felt guilty. Yeah, it's like she tried to blame you or something. Yes. Um, I felt that my body had failed me that for the one thing I had to do during this pregnancy was to carry this baby for nine months I could not even do. I couldn't even do that right. Um, there were so many things, and that's obviously the intrusive thoughts, which I'll talk about more later. They just get in your brain and they are so negative and they're so scary and it is so hard to mm. talk about it. It is, there is such a shame that this amazing thing has just happened, you, you know, baby, everyone's happy and everyone's excited and I was not. I could not have been any less, like, underwhelmed. Um, however, saying I was underwhelmed, I was extremely overwhelmed as well at the same time. Um, there were certain issues that we had um, when we did take our baby home. She, because she was born at 36 weeks, she didn't have her sucking reflex, so I was told that expressing would be best. I was adamant to keep breastfeeding because breast is best and I wanted to be that good mother for her, even though I didn't want her. I still wanted to be that mother, um, which I guess there is that primal element of motherhood, that the emotion might not be there and the, and the bond, but there is still that primal need to care for the for the baby um I spent hours expressing and then bottle feeding and then cleaning and it was just around the clock it was just unrelenting I had a very unsettled baby 
who would just pretty much just wouldn't sleep. I just got more and more anxious as the days passed. I was unable to sleep because of my anxiety. So any downtime that I did get or that she was sleeping, I could not relax. Um, I couldn't eat, found eating hard. Um, and I suppose I was just in such a fog. Um, sleep deprivation is used <laughs> as a torture method for a reason because it is torturous. It's awful. Um, and the other thing which I found the most exhausting really on top of everything else was pretending that I loved this baby. And when I was out in public, I pretended, you know, I was beholding her and smiling and I was just, I felt like the biggest fraud because I was not interested in this, this little person. Um, by, I think three weeks after I had her, I had my first appointment with my psychologist or my psychiatrist, I should say, um, I may have mentioned that I wasn't loving the experience thus far, but I, I, you know, I said, you know what, but everyone says the first six weeks are the highest and I'll get through them. And I got to the first six weeks and things didn't improve. My baby still screamed at me and um, feeding was still hard and I was still expressing. And sure, it's the first six weeks, but you've got to add the prematurity. So it was really the first 10 weeks. So while all the other mothers in my mother's group were experiencing things that happened at six weeks, like the first smile, I had to wait an extra month or an extra three weeks for that first experience and that development. Um, I guess when it hit six weeks, I really, really spiraled. I'd, call, I'd actually say that that was when I was really in the eye of the storm because I had this expectation and society had this expectation that things would turn around by six weeks and they didn't and I was so angry and I was angry at people saying these, these things to me and I was angry at my child for not following the rule of of sleeping through and, of you know, all, the, all that stuff that turns around, I suppose. Um, so I think it was eight weeks um, when my baby was eight weeks old, I was admitted to um, a psych unit in Melbourne, which I fondly call the nut house because we had such a great group of mums in there and we just got each other. And when we called it the nut house, we, we knew what we were doing there. It didn't, there was no light on the situation, but it was just that little bit of relief when we go, yep, look off to the nut house and, um, you know, there'd be that glass screen where you'd get your meds from and I'd call, we'd all call it the lolly shop. There was just these little jokes that we'd have with one another because where we were in our lives was just the pits. Because the question coming up for me is where is the support? And I guess if, if you're really good at masking things, like yeah. you said, and pretending, I mean, was that to your partner? Was that, I mean, where, where does the point come where you suddenly admit or someone realises that you need help? Um, because it sounds like there was no support or you were just amazingly good at pretending. Well, there's two answers to that. Firstly, I'm an amazing pretender. I had spent my whole life masking. Um, my husband was very aware of what was really happening, but he didn't know what to do. Yeah. He, he, you know, in the baby classes, they talk about labour. They don't talk about what happens if your wife's struggling. Um, I, I did have support 
And although I was seeing a psychiatrist leading up to the birth and I knew, I knew all the triggers, like I knew like things that happened when you had postnatal depression, even when it was happening to me, I still didn't get it. I felt guilty for bottle feeding my baby. I could not make the connection that it was my breast milk in that bottle. There was just such a disconnect. Like there was, I actually can't explain what it was. There is support out there. You just have to realize that you need it mm. and that you need to be honest with yourself and honest with those around you that you feel safe with, that you're really just not okay and that you're really not coping and that yeah. it's okay to not be okay and that it's okay to put your hand up and say, yeah, I'm actually not loving this. I think I need to talk to someone. Um, yeah. And I guess that's the biggest that's the biggest hurdle for for women because you know you judgment you've got, and the shame and yeah and the, and the expectations and then you know you you go to your council mothers group and everyone's happy and all the babies are settled and I just sat there going I have nothing in common with these people nothing yeah. um so even though that is a support I don't I didn't feel I could um I could be honest there either. And and funnily enough, there was a session on postnatal depression and they said, does anyone know anyone that's had postnatal depression or has it? And I didn't raise my hand. And I had already been diagnosed and I'd already been to the nut house and I still couldn't say, yep, that's me. There was just, it was, I just didn't feel safe enough, I suppose. Yeah. And so but, when so when you go um, and you're there with the other mums, is is the baby with you? Yeah, so it's a mother and baby unit. So you basically get admitted as a team. Mm-hmm. Um, the where I was, the facility was an incredible, incredible program. They had therapy sessions every day with and sometimes without your baby. Um, they were extremely raw, extremely uh, emotional sessions. Um, but we all had each other's back. We. We all, some of us had good days and some of us had bad days and we would all just lean on each other. Um, I, I was under the impression that my baby was just really unsettled and that rattled me and my psychologist, psychiatrist, whatever, <laughs> kept saying to me, the reason why your baby's unsettled is because you're unsettled. And I didn't understand that. Um, I didn't understand that, you know, that, that the old metaphor about when you go flying and the oxygen masks come down from the aeroplane and you have to put it on the adult first before the child, I just didn't get that. I didn't understand that I had to look after myself before I could look after anyone else. Yeah. I just thought, I'm a mother now. My baby comes first. Everything is about this child. It's not about me anymore. Um, and they were just silly things that I would say to myself. And a lot of them were intrusive thoughts, but all you have at that stage are your thoughts, um, unfortunately, and you just need, you know, it's, it's for some people it's medication, for some people it's just therapy, for some people it's, it's exercise, for some people it's sleep. Some people just need to sleep. I can sleep. imagine Mother, sleep, yeah. Um, so, you know, their, their program was amazing um, and I was there for three weeks or we were there for three weeks. They had... Um, I think the first week for me was um, really just lifting the fog. Um, I still wasn't quite aware of much, but I, by the end of that first week, I, I could see I, I, was, I was more clear about things. Um, 
The second week for me was realizing that, yes, I can do this. There is help out there. Um, it's not going to be tomorrow, but, you know, there's hope. And the third week I was there was all about strategies for me, like strategies on what do I do when I'm when this and this happens or, you know, who can I call, um, things that I can say to myself, you know, positive affirmations, um, things I could do to myself, a lot of sessions about self-care that as mothers we just do not do enough of generally, let alone if we've got postnatal depression. Um, so, you know, and then I was discharged after three weeks. Um, we didn't really tell anyone where we were going. We decided that we would just tell people that we went to sleep school and that because my baby was premature, we just needed to be there longer. It, it was Fair just, enough though. Like, yeah, I just, it, I didn't have the room, I didn't have the space to worry about what other people were going to think of me. And, you know, I also wanted to protect my husband because for him also, I mean, the happiest part of his life and the time of his life and he's got a beautiful baby daughter and his wife is a shell of the person he once knew. Um, and it's I wanted to prote protect him as well, I suppose. And the other thing that actually is, um, is offered by um, organisations and foundations like Panda and at the psych unit I was at were sessions for dads. Um, it's so important because these people cop the brunt of everything that's happening with their wives um, and partners and uh, that support for the fathers was um, was incredible actually. It was I just remember my husband coming back from a session just saying, yep, so basically you're all type A personalities and you're all the same and you're all here together and they all had a laugh about it. Um, you know, all these professional women that could look after boardrooms but not babies. Um, I suppose um, the other thing which really was amazing was my support from my psychologist and psychiatrist. Um I did go back on medication. I did stay on medication. I'm still on medication and I have no plans to ever come off. I've tried. doesn't agree with me. You would not ask someone with asthma not to take their Ventolin and this is my air. Um, um, the other thing that the uh, psych unit offered was outpatient services. So I would go once a week for until my baby was one. I'd go once a week and we'd have like a day session and we'd talk about things that were going on in our lives, um, lots of self-care. There was actually a movement session where we would just dance and play with our babies. For some mums, it was just that one hour a week where they would actually um, be, just be with their babies. A lot of mums just couldn't do that. And so this gave us all an opportunity to just interact and just watch our babies and be with our babies without the world around us, without distractions. Um, things that happened in the news that, were, that would be triggering for us, we could go in and we could talk about it. I remember during one of the sessions this happened when um, there was a case where a dad threw his little girl off the Westgate Bridge, yeah. which for everyone, everyone was shocking. And the first thing I thought of was, wow, that poor dad, What was where was his brain at when he did that? 
and I can guarantee a lot of people didn't give a didn't give a shit about that dad. They were like about they were about the child. Um, so we had lots of sessions about that, and we just had to, I guess, learn to shield ourselves from news like that. Um, and so those those things were hugely hugely beneficial. Um, and the other thing that we had was an outpatient. Um, uh, outreach. So we would actually have a psychiatrist uh, visit our home every two weeks just to check in with us at, in our own environment, which is which is just amazing. And I'd always laugh and I'd always be like, "Yeah, I can imagine the an- anxious weeks when I was, you know, the, the weeks that I was anxious. I should say, she'd walk in and my house would be spotless. And on the weeks where I wasn't so anxious, you know, there'd be a bit of dust around <laughs> because one of my things that I I used to do was clean. I used to just busy myself. So I just, I used to laugh and I used to go, yeah, she just, she already knows my mood by the time she stepped in the door. Mm. <laughs> um, so that, that was all incredible. I have to, I, I do have to say that re- recovery is bloody tough. You feel like you're going one step forward and two steps back. It is just relentless. You know, that it's one thing to have depression and to learn to look after yourself. And it's another thing to have depression, anxiety, and have to be responsible for another human being. It's extremely hard um, and you often question whether or not you're doing the right thing. Like should I bother having a psych appointment or should I just take my baby to the park? Um, There's always that, you know, that mental questioning that you're always doing. Um, So I suppose, you know, when I talk about recovery, it doesn't come lightly at all. Um, it's not easy. There's no timeline. For some people, it can take a few months. For some people, it can take a few years. Yeah. Um, but as long as you have support and as long as you've got your your village, I suppose, whatever village you find, hold it and, and be, be in it and keep it. Um, as long as you feel safe and loved and know that you're doing the right thing for you and your family, you will get through this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I suppose... I've, I felt okay within myself maybe when my baby was definitely over the one. Um, I started to get in the groove of motherhood and and also accepting my new role in life. It's one thing that you and your partner decide to have children, but there's like this unwritten rule that you not only are the child's caregiver, but you're also now the the home worker and the one that's responsible for the cooking and the cleaning and errands and all that stuff, which I know when I got married, I did not sign up for that. I, I signed up for starting a family. I did not sign up for not working and not, you know, following my career path. Um, and I think that's one of the other things which I really struggled at at the beginning was my new purpose, my new my new me, I suppose. It was it was really hard because I was I wasn't in advertising anymore and I wasn't doing that new Medibank campaign. I was just a mum. I was just like everyone else at the shop. Yeah. And I think that new role also just really can Rattle screw you. Yeah. yeah, screw with you. Um and yeah, unhinges you. And I, and I'm sure 
you know, most mothers feel like that and probably not to the extent that I did, but I'm sure it's there for most. And I just, I think it's important for people to know that that's okay. And it's a huge adjustment. It's massive. Massive, massive. What what <laughs> I also would love to hear, I mean, I've seen you with your kids and, and hearing you say I felt disconnected and, you know, not really happy. I mean, where was that shift? Because there's definitely been a shift and, yeah. um, you know, you've already mentioned that you have two kids, so you were, yeah. you were willing to do it again. So, well, you know, I mean, maybe you want to share a little bit about that. But, I mean, I, I know as well that it's not like you suddenly have the baby and, you know, it's suddenly always there that, you know, that adoring mother, that connection, it might take an hour, it might take a few days, it might take, like you said, even longer. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think there's a lot of judgment if it's not there straight away. But I mean, depending on the birth you have and the experience around all that, it may not be instant. And that's also okay. Um, yeah. But yeah, if we, you just share a little bit about when did that come in? When, because I have seen you with your kids and you, know, <laughs> you would never know that it wasn't there. No, no, you wouldn't. But um, I suppose... The, the one thing also I'll go back and say is having a baby and having this new person in your life is like any other relationship. Mm-hmm. You don't instantly fall in love with your partner. It takes time. For some people, you're instantly attracted to them and things work. And for some people, it just takes longer. And I think it's important for mums to know that, yeah, as you just said, the bonding, there's no timeline and it, it's not sometimes instant. Um and I still, I still get a little bit annoyed at like the Huggies ads and how the mums just all look happy. And I just think, oh gosh, this is not a Huggies ad. This is, this is real life. I don't walk around in chinos and a white shirt and look lovingly at my baby as she's on the breast. I don't, I don't do any of that. I just couldn't relate. But, um, I suppose, look, when did things shift? Um, things definitely shifted when my baby turned one. Um, there was love, there was something there. It just took a long time to get there. Um, I felt more confident in myself and I think that having confidence also opens yourself up to be vulnerable and be able to accept the love back, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Um, I felt extremely guilty for a long time. I I thought that I had ruined my child. I thought she was never going to be able to love or to feel. I thought she was going to be numb to emotion because that's all I gave her in those first months. All that skin on skin, I was numb and I just thought I have screwed her up. And I think once I saw evidence of her being happy and her expressing love, I could forgive myself and I could say, I don't feel guilty anymore. I'm, I'm not going to use the word guilty. I'm going to say rather that I regret things. With so much great information provided on each episode, we've created an easy way for you to stay up to date on keeping your family happy, healthy, and safe. For exclusive content, as well as show notes, links for everything we discuss on the episode, as well as a free newsletter to help keep you informed, visit mumsthewordpodcast.com. I... I regret that I was unable to love. I regret that I was unable to bond straight away. I have so many regrets, but I can't, I'm not going to feel guilty about it. It's just what it was. Um, so I was silly enough to have another baby. And one of my passions, I suppose, is once, once I felt good within myself, um, 
and you know my husband and I decided yep be really good to have a sibling um that's when the planning got involved before any conception like before any of that it was right let's get our ducks in a row let's work out what I'm going to do with medication with therapy I'm going to find a safe group of people that I can trust that I will be honest with myself and them about how I'm doing and how I'm feeling um this is all before pregnancy um it's it was about planning it's not to the stage where it was like an army recruitment type of preparing but it was certainly I needed to feel comfortable and safe um before having another baby I was incredibly scared that if I had postnatal depression again that my toddler would be aware of it and that if I needed to go back to a mother baby unit my toddler would feel as though I'd rejected her for this new child there's there's a lot that you need to consider when you're having a, a second child um so what I did during that time also is I, I reached out um, through social media actually. Um, I was on Twitter one day and I saw a hashtag PPD chat and I was like, PPD, I know what that is. And I followed the thread and it was a group of women in America who for two hours a week would chat to one another about certain topics. They would check in with one another on how they're doing. These are all mothers that had postpartum depression in America and anxiety um, and they had formed this community and the reason why they formed this community was because their healthcare is not as amazing as it is here um, and so they relied heavily on each other when therapy and medication was you know a lot harder to get access to and so I started um, talking to this group of mums and a few of us that had had postnatal depression the first time were all thinking of having a second baby and we we started our own gang and we supported one another through the decision in having a second child. Um, one of the mums in that group actually decided to adopt rather than have her another baby. Um, and for most of us, we stuck together. We emailed one another a lot Um and then we all had our second babies and then we supported one another through that that time. That postnatal period after you have a second baby is after postnatal depression, I should say, is really hard. There's the feelings again of regret slash guilt about not feeling love for the first baby. Um, you do get those um, memories, those flashbacks of having the other baby on that change mat and the feelings you had at that time and you feel bad for your first baby that you felt that but you've got to remind yourself that it wasn't you it was the it was the illness um it's a very hard very hard time um but hugely rewarding as well to know that I didn't let postnatal depression dictate to me whether or not I was going to have more children and that I was not going to you know let the illness get in the way of my happiness Absolutely. um yeah, and I suppose the bond with my kids, I can I can tell you that postnatal depression, no matter how shit it is, I truly, truly believe it's made me a better mother and a better person and it's actually one of the best things that's ever happened to me, which one can say with hindsight, <laughs> clearly not at the time. No. 
Um, and, and I guess also through my experience, I've, I've volunteered and I've, I've made it one of my life's passions to support other mothers that are either going through postnatal depression um, or who have had some sort of postnatal mood disorder and then are considering or having their second child or subsequent child. Um, I've got one particular closed Facebook group where we've got a whole group of women who are either um, the original, I think we're the original seven, where we all go in there and support the mums, that there are you know, mums in there that are just trying to conceive or even considering it. Um, and we've got amazing resources in there and amazing um, support because those those groups where you can go in and say, I'm just not loving it today and you're met with no judgment and you just are met with loves, hugs and understanding. And um, I think those, I think Facebook is amazing in that it's created this, um, all these little villages for people to find the groups and where they fit in. You know, you've got your, you know, your support groups for parents with kids that are autistic and transgender and all sorts of things. And I think that finding my village was one of the most incredible things because I truly believe that they were a huge factor in me having another baby. Um, and I suppose have given me the strength to be able to help and support other mothers that are, you know, that are struggling. Um, Absolutely, which is where this podcast comes, I mean, the whole idea for this comes from. I mean, this is also really a type of social media as well, really a podcast as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I just think that it's, if I've learned anything, and these aren't my affirmations, but if I have learned anything, I just, you know, as a mother, as a, as a woman, you've got to always go with your gut. If you're not feeling okay, you just need to be honest and say that. There is no shame. You did not go to baby bunting and choose to get this. This is not your choice. This is just something that's happened to you. But it's really important to know that you will get through it. Um, For the listeners around the world, baby bunting is a a really big, uh, I guess, babies are us equivalent um, where you can get everything you need for um, a child. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. I know what it is, but I don't know if the people in Europe do. That's it. And there ain't no postnatal depression or anxiety sections in those shops. No. <laughs> I can tell you that. No. Um, another <laughs> thing that I've learned along the way is I guess that, you know, you can, you can read all the baby books in the world. You can, you can read all of this information, but at the end of the day, your baby and your child is the book. They tell you when they're hungry, when they're tired. They, they tell you when they're ready for things. They tell you when they've had enough. It's just really important to trust yourself and to know that you're just you're doing an amazing job. This is not easy and and that no matter what you're doing that you know there's there's nothing a book can help you with that you can't on your own when it comes to raising a child. Sure there's there's issues that come with raising kids and social issues and starting school and separation anxiety and all that stuff. That's fine to read books for. But in terms of just loving your kid and connecting, you don't need those books. No, I think it's really important. I mean, almost um, on every episode, that's the you know best advice that anyone was ever given, or or the, or, or what they would tell their younger self. You know, trust your gut. And I think one of the things I'd like to add to that is that 
you don't have to tell everyone what your choice was. You know, no. um, you know, because I mean, even just what I'm going through is similarly at the moment with an almost three year old who will not sleep through the night. And the choice is I either go and lay, lay there and go back and forth between, you know, their bed and, and my bedroom or just at one o'clock in the morning, just bring him to sleep with me. And then we both sleep through the rest of the night. Now I know the choice that I make. Because it's just, you know, like this is a, you know, pick your battle situation. But once you tell someone, like, for example, older generation family mm. that they're still, I mean, it's like, you know what? Just don't tell everyone. Just do no. what feels right for you and yeah. that will be okay. Yeah. And I think the same is with, you know, anything in motherhood. It's like if it's done your tummy tests and passed, it's okay. Yeah, 100%. And I often joke about parenting being like the game of survivor because it's outwit outlast outplay you know and it's it is it's you know they do the whole oh this is so grueling I'm like I can give you grueling you know I can deal with elements but I can give you grueling and grueling is you know little people little people with big problems and all that kind of stuff that comes with and I think only people who are parents understand this it's like another you know if you're all lacking sleep it's like the little zombie connection that you look at each other like Uh oh yeah I know you're tired too and that's fine you know it's like a sort of almost like your little club (laughs) absolutely and I actually something recently just happened um at one of my daughter's um swimming classes there was another mum there and her and she was having a really hard time with her little one and I could I just looked at her in the change room and she she just looked defeated and I just said to her you are doing a great job just some days they can be assholes and it's not about you it's about them you're gonna be okay just breathe and she actually came back to me the next week and said like thank you so much for saying what you said I mean you're a complete stranger and you made me feel so much better you know, it's just, oh, it's so refreshing sometimes having someone just look at you and go, just breathe. It's okay. We've all been here. Rather than feeling as though the world is looking upon you and judging you constantly. I think it's the mental shift when you're sitting on a plane with someone with a baby that's crying that yes. you don't have a baby and have never had a baby. You're like, oh, my God, I hope that baby quiets down. Oh, my God, we're sitting really close to that baby as opposed to when you've got one and almost all this empathy comes with the, oh, you know, we understand. And it's just, yeah, you don't that's know it. until you've been there. And let's be honest, some parents were like, can I move seats? And they're like, sorry, you can't. It's actually your kid. <laughs> And, you know, there's, there's that time that you get there too. You're like, they're being absolute little shits. I don't actually want to sit with them because <laughs> someone else can. So, you know, and then, then there's that part where you just, you know, you add a bit of a laugh and you just know that you'll get through it. Yeah, you everyone just has bad days. It's oh, we sure do. Well, I'd love for you to start, um, well, before we get into some of the resources where people can um, reach out to, I know that you must have an affirmation or a quote to get through those tough days. Um, yes, absolutely. I think that one of the things that, um, that happened in the nut house, we all had to, sorry, that's just what it is. Um, one of the things that we did is we had to write like a little message for ourselves. And one of the mums wrote this huge message for herself and she put it on the wall in her room and she had a message that just said, this is not forever. And This resonated with me so much because I thought this is the rest of my life. I am going to be unhappy with this baby that just continuously screams at me. She hates me. She doesn't want to be here either. 
And I just think that that was one of the most powerful things. And it is something I say daily to either other women that are struggling or women that aren't struggling that are having another issue completely that it's just, you know, it's some people do the whole, this too shall pass. But I just think that this, this is not forever is just that little bit more powerful for me personally. Yeah. Um, it's really important and it, it's not really a personal affirmation, but it's really important for, for me to, to just let mums know that there is no shame. You didn't choose this. And it's one of the hardest things to accept and to feel okay about. It's seriously, uh, you know, some days I feel fine saying it and some days I'm like, no, I don't feel comfortable saying that there's no shame because sometimes I feel a little bit shameful. Um, but it's really important to know that there is no shame and that there are amazing women out there that are kicking stigma's ass in terms of mental illness and maternal mental illness and, um, you know, let there be a day where we are not judged and certainly those stories about mothers that have postnatal depression that kill their babies in the media, which is just simply not true. Um, it might be the case that mothers have postnatal psychosis, which is a completely other mental illness and it's very scary. Um, it's it's just knowing that you, you're not that mum and that it's, the biggest shame in the world that that mum couldn't get help um and I guess the shame is there because you feel that you can't be honest because you feel that as though someone is going to take your family away or think that you're that mother that might kill their child I know this is very a very confronting thing to say but I I, I think it needs to be said um because there's so much fear I know especially in the UK and the US for admitting that you're not okay because out of out of fear and out of being judged um, but we're, there's a lot of us that were working super, super hard in trying to change that mindset, um, as well as speaking to media companies and saying, it's actually not okay to report this. Get your facts straight. Rather educate people and educate mums and future mums about these issues and tell them how to get help and where to get help from. And they're, they're suffering alone. It's this, it's just, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel for these families and I feel for the, their partners and, you know, these stories are awful and they're tragic and they're horrible but, may, you know, hopefully one day avoidable. Um, but I just hope that through my words you can know that to please, please talk to someone because um, it's the best thing you can do for yourself and for your family. Um, it's almost like I can imagine the weight being lifted as well just finally to break the silence and to speak out. Um, yes, I think for me that came in time. Mm -hmm. It wasn't an instant, oh, I feel so good because I still had that mask. I actually, I, I still had that mask. So I actually remember one of the nurses said to me on the first day, she's like, oh, how are you doing? And I said, oh, actually, I'm okay. I'm having a good day. She goes, are you really? Or is that just your mask? And I'm like, oh my goodness, there's a word for that. Is that what I've been having my whole life? Really? Wow. There's an actual word. It's also called denial, but yeah. Mm. Um, and I suppose, you know, as I said before, it's one of the best things that's ever happened to me. And I know that that's, it, it doesn't seem normal to say that 
or correct to say that, but it's. It, I honestly, truly believe it. I don't think that I'd be the person I am or the mother I am had I not had that experience. Yeah. No, I get it. I get it. So what drives you and gets you up in the morning now and also doing all the work you are doing um, with postnatal depression and and um, and all the um, volunteer work that you're doing? Um, well, I suppose it's it's just what I touched on just before about, the, you know, the, the, the stories about women not having help and feeling so alone. I've, I felt so incredibly alone and so incredibly sad for being lonely. Um, I never want anyone to feel like that. And so if I can, if I can be one person or to help that one person say, you know, you're going to be okay and it's, it's okay to not be okay and, you know, you'll get there and, yeah, this is hard and it is shit. Um, I, I want to be that voice for people. I, I, it's such a passion of mine to, yeah, I get it. Yeah. to make sure that people know that there is help out there and that they will get through this. Yeah. Um, it's incredibly important for women to know. And I think that these tools also give, give mothers and, and, and dads also just the tools to equip yourself through all the challenges of parenthood. Um, you know, not everything's going to come as you expect and not everything, there are challenges on the way and it's how you deal with them and cope with them that, um, that will make a difference in your life, in your mental health, in, you know, in how you care for yourself, in your relationship with your child, relationship with your peers, your village, etc. So I, I think that, yeah, that's, you know, I can say that it's one of the best things that's ever happened to me and I, and I absolutely love um, helping people in and no, and giving them that reassurance that you know that they're going to be okay. And what was the best advice that you ever received in relation to this? Um, I don't know if it's advice that I've received from other people or things that I've realised myself, mm-hmm. but it's um, it's being honest with yourself. That is just a huge one. And that is something that is so incredibly hard, especially for someone like myself who spent their life masking. Um, you, you've got to be honest with yourself. If you cannot be honest with yourself, there's you, you just cannot get help. You, you you just can't be the person that you can you could be. And it's just a shame. It really is, and it, it's just yeah. It just it, it breaks my heart to think that there's people out there that um could could get help that just can't or won't or are in denial it just yeah yeah I just hope that through my words um and through you know some of my Facebook groups people can get that message and and hopefully be okay yeah yeah well I'd love you to share any of the resources um with the listeners that you know um are invaluable in terms of this whether it's um websites or as you said I think Facebook has been the biggest help for you but um if there's any people or or specialists or anything that you think um list away sure I mean I think that the the first point of call um is your GP and you you know go to go visit your GP let them know how you're feeling and your GP will then um kind of not decide for you but um, put some plans in place in terms of um, referring you to a psychologist, a psychiatrist. Yeah, so that's just your medical doctor for that's people on the other side doctor. of the world, yeah, general um, practitioner. But in terms of, of yourself, I think um, 
online, there are amazing Facebook, closed Facebook groups. So your friends don't know that you're in these groups. Um, and whatever's said in those groups, no one else has access to them. And I think that they're essential. Um, and what I can do, Kaz, is I can send you some links of some closed Facebook groups that people can request to join. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the – it's really kind of my, my third baby is my um, having a baby after a postnatal um, depression or anxiety mood disorder. And it's really giving mums the, the confidence and the tools to make that decision for themselves in terms of whether or not they want to have another baby. Um, and that's a website or that's a group? That's also a closed Facebook group, right? Um, which I will give you links to. Yeah, and I'll put them in the show notes so everyone can find them. And for all the subscribers of the newsletters, they'll, they'll also be there as well, which is probably the right. easiest way. Yeah, Absolutely. Just the, the, the one in Australia that I can speak about is Panda. Um, they have incredible resources both online and they've got a 24-7 help uh, helpline. So that's the association. That's the association. Um, in terms of the US um, and I guess the UK as well, there's um, a foundation called uh, Postpartum Progress, which is a foundation that's essentially started in the US um, by the founder uh, Catherine Stone, who suffered with postpartum depression, and there was no help for her, and there was no, um, not necessarily resources, and the US medical system is not great. Um, they've started this foundation where you can basically see in the US uh, a list of all your health care providers who best to speak to for postnatal OCD, anxiety, depression, psychosis. They've got huge amount of resources there including books um they also have blogs they have personal stories from people that um i know especially for me resonated with me more so than just clunky educational type websites and resources um and so they're they're i'd say world leading in terms of their resources globally they've got um even places on their website, postpartumprogress.com, in where you can go in if you're in the UK um, while they catch up on um, maternal mental health. Um, and I would say that um, between blogs, closed Facebook groups and, you know, a website like uh, postpartumprogress.com, I think they're the best things to start with. Yeah because you're not leaving your home necessarily you're in your safe environment and you can information seek um the thing with depression is you your motivation is low um and you constantly second guessing yourself so then one day you think you need help and the other day you think you're okay and the other day then the next day you think you're okay and then the next day you think you need help so i think that having these so close to literally your fingertips um is extremely comforting and extremely useful um and also if wanting to talk to someone and you don't necessarily want to talk verbally um finding out some of the group admins um through some of those closed facebook groups and messaging them privately i've not met one yeah yeah, i've not met one admin that's not been willing to share or help or direct i've yet to find um one to do that um and most 
uh, of these groups that I'm involved in have multiple admins as well. So um, most of them are in the US, but you've got, you know, me, the little Aussie who's awake when everyone else is asleep, but then when the one anxious mum can't sleep, there's me. So yeah, it works. It's like a four-hour so service almost. Absolutely, and and we've also got to we've also got to look after ourselves. A lot of a lot of these stories can be hard and they can be triggering. Um, and if one of us is not having a very good day, it's okay for us to say, you know what, my my plate's too full today. Can someone else look after this person? Mm-hmm. Um, and look, we've had some really scary some really scary times and we've, but there are resources. There's, you know, um, lifeline. If you, if you feel that they're someone to talk to, there's, there's so many people and there's so many places that are, um, that are there for you. If, if you can admit that you, that you need it. Yeah. And I know you wanted to mention the conference coming up as well. Yeah. So postpartum progress is, um, they're having their second annual conference this year. It's in Atlanta. Um, and I'm going this year to Atlanta next month and I, as much as I'm excited about the conference and I'm excited about the sessions, I cannot wait to meet these amazing group of people that I have met in my life. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, look, I, it's, it's, it'll be an extremely emotional couple of days, but I, I just cannot wait. There's... We often t- laughed about how we meet in Hawaii and, you know, but no, I'm actually going to meet some of these amazing people. So, yeah, I, I really can't wait. And I, I can't wait to see um, the new things that they're going to be doing in terms of advocacy and, um, you know, general mental health, maternal mental health help um, in the US, in the UK and globally. Um, yeah, it's just really exciting times and it's, um, yeah, I'm really excited. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. Um, well, I just want to say, I mean, really so deeply a huge thank you for sharing yourself, sharing your story, doing the work that you do, and also um, like we spoke about, you know, how raw could you get? And also for me just, yeah, really getting raw. And, you know, we spoke about it being a taboo topic and, and how deep and you've just, yeah, given so much and I know you will continue to do so. Um yeah, just huge, yeah. huge amount of gratitude, and also for just um, sticking with it as well. Thank you. It's um, it's definitely one of my life's passions, and I'm a very loyal person. So once I get on board with the passion, that's it. That's it for life. Yeah, <laughs> that's 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 um, lucky for your family, really, isn't it? Oh, In everything well. that you do. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Yaz. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Mums the Word. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes and join us on our Facebook page to help us share the message to more mums all over the world. We look forward to having you join us again next time here on your trusted source for all mums everywhere, Mums the Word. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.
Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.